0: In the year 2001, there were persistent news of world economic slowdown, terror attacks and hijackings. In between these massive news, the Himalayan kingdom, Nepal, made it to the world headlines and terrified the entire world with the news of the massacre of the royal Shah family. Nepal's royal family was no stranger to bloodshed. Yet, this news startled not just Nepal, but the entire world because the royal Shah family wasn't assassinated by any outsider, but an insider, the heir to the throne, the son of the Shah King and the Queen, Crown Prince Dipendra Shah. The Crown Prince went on a murderous rampage, killing nine members of the royal family, including his parents, the King and the Queen, prior to using his gun to kill himself. It was an unimaginable horror. Never in history had such an horrific event happened. The murder was thought to be the worst mass killing of royalty since the Romanovs were put to death by order of Lenin in 1918 during the Russian Civil War. It's quite common for kings to kill another king, to ambush other kingdoms, but a king being killed by his own son is unusual and unprecedented in anybody's history. This had left everyone in an absolute shock. The mass shooting of the royal family at the Narayan Hiti palace and the uproar it caused laid the ground for the eventual abolition of monarchy in Nepal. There were and still are many theories revolving around this case. So let's unfold these theories and this sin together on Sins of Asia. The calendar dated June 1st, 2001. The Hiti Palace, the official residence of the Shah monarchy in Kathmandu, Nepal, was lively and vibrant as a party was orchestrated by the Royal Shah family. It was a regular Royal Friday family dinner hosted by the King of Nepal, King Birendra Bir Vikram Shah and his wife Queen Ashwarya. Let me first introduce you to the Shah family members who were present at the party, starting with the King and the Queen and their children. King Birendra Beer Vikram Shah Dev, the 11th King of Nepal, he ruled as an absolute monarch after ascending the throne in 1972 without the intervention of any political parties. But nationwide unrest forced him to legalize political parties in 1990 and he accepted a parliamentary system. Next, his wife, who was also his second cousin, Queen Ashwarya Rajya Lakshmi Devi Shah, also referred to as Bada Maharani. The eldest son of King Birendra and Queen Ashwarya, crowned Prince Dipendra Shah. He was beloved by the people of Nepal, who fondly nicknamed him Dippy. Then, the youngest son of King Birendra and Queen Ashwarya, Prince Niranjan Shah. And lastly, the daughter of King Birendra and Queen Ashwarya, Princess Shruti Rajalakshmi Devi Shah. The other members present at the party are as follows. Prince Shruti's husband, Kumar Gorak. King Birendra's eldest sister and also Rani of Bajhang, Princess Shanti, King Birendra's middle sister, Princess Sharda, and her husband Kumar Khadga, King Birendra's youngest brother, Prince Direndra, King Birendra's youngest sister, Princess Shova, King Birendra's first cousin, Princess Jayanti and Ketiki Chester, Princess Komal, wife of Prince Gyanendra, who is King Birendra's brother. Prince Gyanendra was at Pokhara city away from Kathmandu and wasn't a part of the Friday family dinner. Prince Paras, son of Prince Gyanendra and Princess Komal and there were a few more members present at the party but these were the main names and you'll hear these names once again as the story continues. So keep these in mind. The Shah family and the members present at the party were enjoying themselves but little did the family know that it was their last party. King Birendra's eldest son, Crown Prince Dipendra Shah, was drunk and high by consuming the famous grouse whisky and by smoking cigarettes laced with hash and other unidentified black substance. By this point, he was stuttering and swaying and quarrelling with a few of the guest members. He was in such a state that he was escorted back to his room by three of his relatives. Once inside the room, Dipendra vented out his anger as he smashed and thrashed his entire room. After this, Dipendra drunk-dialed the love of his life, Devyani Rana. She picked up the call and the two talked for a while and eventually Dipendra cut the call saying that he wanted to rest. Who is Devyani Rana? She belonged to the Rana dynasty. Prince Dipendra was studying in England's Eton College, the British institute that schools future kings and prime ministers. It was during this time that he reportedly met Devyani Rana who was also studying in England. Devyani and Dipendra had met at Dipendra's local guardian's home, Bag's Norfolk home. The two fell head over heels in love and soon Dipendra asked her to marry him. However, Dipendra's parents and especially his mother, Ashwarya, opposed the marriage. Devyani's Gwalior family was one of the wealthiest former royal families of India and allegedly far wealthier than the Nepalese monarch. Devyani's mother warned her daughter that marrying the Nepalese crown prince might mean a drop in her standard of living and many allege that this was the reason that upset the Shah family. Others allege that Devyani's grandmother was a concubine rather than a full-fledged member of that family, and because of this, Queen Ashwarya objected. Instead, she was insisting her son to marry a distant relative of the house of Shah. Newspaper clippings at the time revealed that the prince decided to not marry as he reached his thirties, and this was threatening his status as the heir to the throne. One article dated May 27th, 2001, reported and I quote, people are asking why the crown prince is unmarried at this age and whether his future as the heir to the throne is in danger. It is high time his royal highness got married. The Nepali people wish to celebrate his marriage soon and in the grandest manner. End quote. Anyways, after hanging up the call with Devyani, Dipendra doesn't go to rest. Instead, he dresses up in his official army uniform and picks up an M16A2 assault rifle and an MP5K machine gun. He then walks out of his room down the stairs. No one, not even the palace guards, stopped him, as everyone knew that Dipendra was a gun enthusiast and would often practice and test out his rifles in the open. But still, Dipendra was drunk and high, and it was almost 6 in the evening and the palace was full of guests. Why did no one stop him when he was in such an intoxicated state? I guess we'll never know. Carrying the rifle, Dipendra made his way to the L-shaped drawing room which was known as the billiards room of the palace. Here, all the Shah family members and the party guests were dining and enjoying their evening. He opened the door, entered the room, locked the door behind him and as soon as he saw his father, King Birendra Bir Vikram Shah on the sofa, he opened fire on him and emptied the entire cartridge of bullets on him then and there. As it was a private family dinner time in the billiards room, no guards were present there to protect the king. And hence no one backfired or tried to stop the prince. Next, the prince unlocked the door, bolted out of the room, and came back again, but this time with a brand new weapon in order to stop and disarm Dipendra, Prince Dhirendra, King Birendra's youngest brother, plunged on him, and in this process, Direndra was shot at point-blank range in his chest. Crown Prince Dipendra then started firing indiscriminately and killing half of his family in just one room. Dipendra killed his sister, Princess Shruti his aunt Princess Shanti, Princess Sharda, Princess Jayanti and his uncle Kumar Khadga. Prince Gyanendra's wife Princess Komil and son Prince Paras were wounded. Princess Shruti's husband Kumar Gorak, King Birendra's youngest sister Princess Shova, and remaining other members and the guests in the billiards room were wounded too. Crown Prince Dipendra went out of the room once again and returned back with a third weapon. While he was out of the room, his mother Queen Ashwarya, and his youngest brother Prince Niranjan had managed to escape the billiards room and they were running towards the palace garden but to their horror, Dipendra saw them from the billiards room window and pointed his gun towards his mother. His youngest brother Prince Niranjan reportedly said while shielding the queen and I quote Don't do it please, kill me if you want, end quote. Prince Niranjan came in between his mother and Dipendra and got shot in his back. He had numerous gunshot wounds on his back and was found lying in a pool of blood in the middle of the garden. Meanwhile, Dipendra shot his mother, Queen Ashwarya too. She was found lying dead on the footsteps. After assassinating and wounding everyone, Crown Prince Dipendra stepped onto the footbridge over the palace garden stream, and before anyone could make a move, he reversed the gun on his head and pulled the trigger. The royal Shah family massacre lasted only for about a minute, a minute and a half, but it affected the entire line of Shah family and left thousands of unanswered questions and theories behind. That night, all the members of the royal family were dead except one, Crown Prince Dipendra. Dipendra had slept into a coma after shooting himself. Citizens awaited the morning reports on the Radio Nepal, Nepal TV and other media, but nothing was forthcoming. This meant that the reporters were left scrambling for information in the aftermath of the horrific massacre. Official reports of what happened were scarce, and many theories were already surfacing. Next day, only a handful of newspapers reported about the massacre, while others remained completely shushed about the matter. It was through the foreign media alone that the news of the killing of the royal Shah family had arrived. They had already started broadcasting about the royal massacre and eventually they even unfolded the reason behind the massacre, which was Crown Prince Dipendra's unaccepted love life. In between confusions all around, the 125-member Raj Parishad or State Council, which determines the succession issue, officially announced in the afternoon the death of the king, the queen, and the royal family members. In total, 10 royal family members were killed in the massacre. The following day, on June 2, 2001, the members of the royal family were cremated. The funeral procession started at 6 p.m. from Birendra Military Hospital. The bodies of the king and the queen were wrapped with magnificent colourful clothes. The cloth which wrapped the head of the king was printed with Sita Ram. The Nepalese people demonstrated unprecedented devotion towards their monarch. Never before in the country's history had people assembled and mourned any person's death with as much grief as this. Thousands of people lined the streets to have a last glimpse of their beloved king and the royal family members. Pro monarchy slogans were shouted and flowers were showered from all sides on the bodies of the late king and the queen. They shouted in Nepalese, Long live King Birendra! and Our country and the king are dearer than our lives. As soon as the bodies of the king, queen, and the royal family members reached Aryaghat, which was the holiest Hindu shrine on the bank of Bhagmati river, preparations for the final rites had begun. The Brahmins performed the anti rites in accordance with the Vedic tradition. Deepak Bikram Shah, the late king's cousin, lit the funeral pyre of the king at 9.50pm. A 56-gun salute was fired in the air, signifying that the monarch was 56 years old. There were angry scenes during the funeral process. Two people were killed and 19 were injured in days of rioting after the massacre. Three nights of curfews eventually helped calm down the situation. Many mourners had shaved their heads and were going without salt, a traditional sign of Hindu mourning. Dipendra, while in hospital, unconscious, was declared as the king of Nepal by the constitution and the royal tradition as he was first in line for the throne as the eldest son of the deceased king, King Birendra. Dipendra died in the hospital three days after the massacre on June 4, 2001 at 3.45am without regaining any consciousness. King Dipendra was cremated amid heavy security and with a curfew at Aryaghat, at the same place where his parents were cremated two days before. To avoid any untoward incident, only government officials and the members of the constitutional bodies and a few people were allowed to participate in the funeral. Some thought that the security had killed Dipendra on the day of the massacre. But since he had instantly become the king when he killed his father, it was impossible for Nepal to contemplate killing the king. No guard ever admitted doing that. The palace guards were immediately suspended as it was later found that they helped Crown Prince Dipendra with his drug habits by supplying him the required stash. Following the Hindu tradition, the ashes from the funeral of late King Birendra, late King Dipendra and late Queen Ashwarya were brought from Kathmandu to the historic Shah dynasty palace and to the temple of Goddess Gorakhali and Baba Gorakhnath in Gorkha, nearly 150 kilometers west of Kathmandu. King Birendra's brother and Dipendra's uncle, Prince Gyanendra, was appointed as a regent who's a person appointed to govern a state for the three days following the massacre and then he ascended the throne himself after the death of the crown prince Dipendra. And hence, on June 4th, 2001, Gyanendra became the king of Nepal. It was his second coronation as he had been crowned before at the age of three during King Tribhuvan's exile in India and almost 50 years later he ascended the throne again. When Crown Prince Dipendra was unconscious, Ganendra maintained that the deaths were the result of an accidental discharge of an automatic weapon. Later, he said that he had made this claim due to legal and constitutional hurdles because Dipendra could not have been charged with murders under the constitution and by tradition had he survived. A two-man committee comprising of Chief Justice Keshav Prasad Upadhyay and Speaker of the House Taranath Ranabhat carried out a week-long investigation concerning the massacre. The investigation concluded after interviewing more than 100 people, including eyewitnesses and palace officials, guards, and staff, that Dipendra was the perpetrator of the shooting. Deputy Prime Minister Ram Chandra Podil called the massacre a national tragedy and confirmed that the Crown Prince was to be blamed. However, observers both inside Nepal and abroad disputed Dipendra's culpability in the incident. As soon as the reports were published, the police were deployed in force amid fear of a repeat of the rioting that followed the 1st June massacre. The massacre left the Nepalese population deeply traumatized. Despite the eyewitness accounts, many Nepalese were unable to accept that their Crown Prince Dipendra would kill his parents. Many Nepalese still remain suspicious of the official story, pointing to the inconsistencies in the evidence. According to Larry Dinger, the senior American diplomat in Nepal at that time of the massacre said and I quote, people of Nepal viewed the king as a god, literally a god, end quote. A local resident of Kathmandu said that, shocking is an understatement, we have been orphaned by this loss. Another local resident said that, it just does not sound like the truth. On June 6, 2001, Yubraj Ghimre and two directors of Nepal's biggest newspaper, Kantipur, were arrested for treason after they published an article of Baburam Bhattarai, an underground moist leader, who said that the royal murders were a result of political conspiracy, and called on the army to rise up against the monarchy. Ghimre and two of his colleagues were detained for nine days before a special court panel ordered their release pending trial. After protests from local and international groups, including CPJ, the government dropped the case. On June 7, 2001, a member of the royal family who was in the palace during the shooting delivered a detailed eyewitness accounting of the killings, naming Dipendra as the shooter. Dr. Rajiv Raj Shahi became the first person who was at the scene to go public with his story. He survived the massacre uninjured by jumping from the window and and then he ran to call aides and an ambulance. He later told the reporters and I quote, What motivated Dipendra to do this, I'm not sure, but it was the then Crown Prince Dipendra who carried out the murders. He was just a murderer. At about 9pm, I heard a burst of gunfire. I thought it was somebody playing a prank. There was shouting and I heard someone say His Majesty King Birendra had been shot. Being a doctor, I ran towards His Majesty. I took off my coat and pressured it against his neck where he was bleeding. King Birendra said that I have been shot in the stomach also. I told him not to worry, as stopping the bleeding was more vital at this time. End quote. On June 12, 2001, a Hindi Katto ceremony was held to banish the spirit of the dead king from Nepal. Tradition demands that 11 days after the king's death, a Katto ceremony is performed. This Kattu ceremony, conducted on the banks of Bhagmati River in Kathmandu, was attended by a number of senior government officials, including Prime Minister Girija Prasad Koirala and Chief Justice Keshav Prasad Upadhyay. However, King Birendra, the youngest brother of the slain former king, did not attend the ceremony. In this ceremony, a 75-year-old Hindu priest, Durga Prasad Sapkota, dressed as the late King Birendra, rode the elephants through the streets of Kathmandu and was ceremonially banished from the Kathmandu Valley in what could be called a Nepalese attempt to bring closure to the political crisis that had gripped them. The ceremonial dressing, a ritualistic appropriation of the soul of the dead king, was followed by a meal of 84 delicacies laced with bone marrow. A strict vegetarian all his life, the priest broke one of Hinduism's most sacred taboos in a symbolic show of of the spirit of the former king carrying the ills of the world into exile. He took with him a number of possessions belonging to the late king, including a domestic item like a radio and a television set. King Birendra's kattu ceremony, however, got off to an inauspicious start when the elephant selected to bear the priest into the exile killed a woman, as it was being brought from the royal Chitwan National Park to the capital. A similar ceremony was held for the crown prince Dipendra too. This version of events, as with the earlier private reports of Dipendra's guilty hand, may have convinced some Nepalese that their beloved crown prince killed his father, mother and seven other members of the royal family. But once the shock had worn off, questions and doubt began to emerge. How could the crown prince turn on his family in such a violent way? Were other forces behind this attack? And why did Dipendra, who was right-handed, shot himself on the left side of his temple? If Dipendra was so drunk that he was swaying and was barely able to stand, then how did he carry out the entire massacre single-handedly? Was it really Dipendra who did this or was there someone who made him do this? Unusual traumas demand unusual explanation, and the public imagination is always happy to fill in the gaps. As mentioned earlier, there were many conspiracy theories attached to this case. The most popular conspiracy theories concentrated closer to home. The first theory goes as follows. King Birendra's brother, Prince Gyanendra Bir Vikram Shah Dev, was the one who caused the massacre. Wild rumour spread that Gyanendra colluded with his son Paras to carry out the murders and frame Dipendra, so that they could claim the throne for themselves. Prince Gyanendra, who never failed to attend the royal family Friday dinner, was in Pokhara on the day of the massacre. His wife Komal, his son Paras and daughter Preena were in the room at the royal palace during the massacre, but all of them survived with the slightest injuries. In fact, Komal, Gyanendra's wife, sustained a life-threatening bullet wound but still managed to survive. It was indeed suspicious that nobody in Gyanendra's family died and moreover, Gyanendra and his son Paras had a very bad reputation and were widely disliked in Nepal, which fueled the suspicions even more. Naturally, Gyanendra and his family members vigorously denied their involvement. The second theory is more of a global conspiracy. The former Nepalese foreign minister, Chakra Prasad Bastola, claimed without any evidence that the Hiti palace massacre was a joint plot by India and the US to destroy all the patriotic and democratic forces in Nepal. Bastola said, and I quote, As nothing can happen in Nepal without Indian involvement, and nothing happens without the knowledge of the US, the superpower, I think both were involved in the incident, end quote. The next theory is also against the global politics. Pushpa Kamal Dahal, the chairman of Nepalese Mayors Party, in a public gathering claimed that the massacre was planned by the Indian Intelligence Agency, Research and Analysis Wing, RAW, or the American Central Agency, CIA. Since the massacre, some eyewitness statements have been released, such as multiple people with the mask of Crown Prince Dipendra were present in the room at one point. The bodies of some of the royal family members were found elsewhere in the palace and not in the dining hall whereas Dipendra was cited as one of the first ones to have been shot. There is a book titled Rakta Kunda based on the interviews of two palace maids which detailed this theory. The next theory is also based on Dipendra's look-alike mask. Lam Theri, a junior army staff deputed at the Narayanhiti palace during this period, claimed that Prince pyrus came to the palace dinner party that night accompanied by a person wearing a Dipendra look-alike mask the masked man shot Dipendra before other royal families were killed. Lam Lamteri saw Dipendra who got six bullets shot in his back and one on the left hand in an intoxicated state in his private room before the royal family was killed. He said he, along with some other security staff, also sent an unnamed letter to the palace saying that Dipendra was innocent. But three months later, Lam Teri was transferred to another battalion with demotion and was also sent to jail on a false murder case of a businessman. There is another theory based on Dipendra's childhood. According to Lieutenant General Vivek Kumar Shah, who knew the Crown Prince from when he was a kid, said that the Crown Prince had another side. He said that from the beginning, the Crown Prince Dipendra probably did not get the love that he should have as a child. That's his belief. There is a book named Miley Dekheko Darbar, written by the former military secretary of King Birendra Shah, and this book elaborates Dipendra's odd behaviors. The most common theories about Dipendra's love affair. Prince Paras, son of the new king Gyanendra, said that his marriage was the motive for the massacre. He said, and I quote, As far as I am concerned, the motive was the marriage. The issue came up at my birthday celebration last year. Whatever happened, I always agreed with what my brother ordered, but Queen Aishwarya, Princess Shruti, her husband, as well as other female members were against this marriage. Dipendra said that on Sunday during an audience, he'll talk with Baba, King Birendra, about this issue. Dipendra seemed to be drunk that day but was in a very good mood. We never thought this would have happened, end quote. This event itself seems almost impossible, like something that could have been lifted out of a Shakespeare tragedy. A family fueled over forbidden romance had escalated into violence and death. This next theory alleged that Dipendra was unhappy with the country's shift from an absolute monarch, which was a form of monarchy in which the king or the queen rule in their own right, to a constitutional monarchy, which is a form of monarchy in which the king or the queen is the official head of state, although their powers are limited by a constitution. And because of this, the theory states that too much power had been given away following the 1990 People's Movement and this was why Dipendra was upset. This is, in fact, unlikely because the crown prince responded to the 1990s movement positively and returned to an elected government with enthusiasm. Many theories also allege that it was an ancient royal family curse that led to this massacre, the Gorakhnath curse. According to the legend, Prithvi Narayan Shah, the founder of the kingdom of Nepal, who in 1769 united Nepal into one kingdom, once came across a holy man in the forest named Gorakhnath an 11th century yogi with supernatural powers who believed to be a protector of the ancient kingdom of Gorkha. The king offered some curd to the meditating yogi who vomited it out and asked the king to drink it. A repulsed Prithvi Narayan rejected the offering, allowing it to fall on the ground. As the white steam of curd dribbled on the king's ten toes, the enraged holy man cursed the royal that his dynasty would be obliterated because of his pride after ten generations. King Birendra was indeed the 10th descendant and after his murder, the eldest son crowned Prince Dipendra, who was then in coma, was crowned king. Hence, he became the 11th descendant but passed away without recovering. So, Gyanendra ascended the throne in 2001 and Goraknath's curse had come true as this new successor was not able to keep his throne for a long time. These were some of the major theories related to the royal massacre. Now, let's get back to the case. After Gyanendra took over the throne as the new Nepal king, eight years later he suffered a dramatic downfall just as the Goraknath curse had indicated. In the year 1990, King Birendra had established a constitutional monarch in which he delegated policy to a representative government, but after becoming the king himself, Gyanendra had other ideas. He sought to exercise full control over the government, citing the failure of all political parties to hold an election. In 2005, King Janendra sacked the parliament and took over control as an absolute monarch. He restricted civil liberties, political activists were locked up and even the international organizations expressed grave concerns about the safety of the journalists, including freedom of the press. He promised that peace and effective democracy would be restored within three years, but it all looked like a dictatorship. People were enraged by Gyanendra's action and once again, violence hit the streets of Nepal. In April 2006, the seven-party alliance and the then-banned CPN Moist Party staged protests and strikes in Kathmandu against Gyanendra's direct rule. The royal government exercised minimum restraint but declared a curfew to control the deteriorating situation with live firearms and the army. Initially, the US, Europe, China and India supported the monarchy. But after King Gyanendra put the constitutional monarchy on hold and took direct control of the country, his allies deserted him. After various protesters were killed, Gyanendra realized that he had gone too far and on April 21, 2006, he announced that he would yield execution authorities to a new prime minister chosen by the political parties to oversee the return of democracy. Several party leaders rejected the offer and again demanded that the king call a council to determine the monarchy's future rule in politics. An agreement was reached between the parties under the supervision of Indian ruling Congress that the monarchy would have a place in the new constitution. Then, on April 24, 2006, King Gyanendra reinstated the previous parliament in a television address to the nation. The agreement between the parties and Gyanendra under Indian supervision was not honoured by the parties. And hence, three weeks later, on June 10, 2006, the parliament scrapped the major powers of the king. All powers of the 239-year-old monarchy were stripped, making Gyanendra a civilian king. On May 28, 2008, the monarchy was officially given no place in the amended constitution of 1990 and was replaced by a republic. This was done by the constituent assembly without a referendum. The country that believed their royals were living Hindu gods gave the Shah's surviving family members 15 days to get out of Hiti palace. Gyanendra accepted the decision in the following days. As he was required to leave Hiti. he asked the government to make residential arrangements for him. So, the government decided to give Nagarjuna palace to him. Gyanendra had kept a low profile since he left the palace in June 2008. Nepal's traditional government nationalized all the properties Gyanendra inherited from his brother, including the Narayanhiti royal palace. Following his departure, the Narayanhiti palace was turned into a museum. The royal family's departure from the palace was reported as a major symbolic moment in the fall of the Shah dynasty, which had unified Nepal in 1760s. Although it took several years, the Nepalese royal massacre eventually paved the way for a multi-party system that Nepal has today. In December 2020, two decades after the massacre, masses were calling for monarchy to be reinstated. Thousands of people had gathered in Kathmandu, seeking an end to democracy and return of King Gyanendra. They chanted, King, please come back and save our country. We want the monarchy back. Abolish the republics. Much controversy surrounds the circumstances of the massacre, even today. With the abolition of the monarchy following the 2006 revolution, many questions still remain unsolved. So, what do you think about all the controversies? Do you think that Prince Dipendra was the one that took a hit on all of his family members? Or do you think there was some conspiracy attached to it? Well, I don't think it was the crown prince that did any of this because of the dynamics of the gun and where he allegedly shot himself. Holding a shotgun or a machine gun to your head with your non-dominating hand and shooting yourself twice is something that is possible but a little skeptical too. But there are so many more theories attached to it that it becomes confusing to put your finger at one theory. And with that, we come to the end of today's case. Let me know your thoughts on the royal massacre case on Instagram, the handle is Sins of Asia. I hope you found this episode informative. If you did, then please do not forget to give your precious ratings and reviews as it immensely helps the podcast. And please take a moment to also follow the podcast. New episode with a fresh sin from Asia goes live every Friday. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you make good decisions and don't become a criminal. Bye guys and I hope to catch you for the next sin.